Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I want to ask you to pray with us during this time. You know, there's a lot of unique challenges as we come back into the building. We'll be following recommended guidelines. We'll be seeking God's direction and understanding, trying how to lead in times like these. You ever heard that phrase before? Heard somebody say, well, it's, it's just kind of different in times like these. It's, it's a unique season in times like these. We're living in some interesting times, unique challenges, and it's a different season. Times like these. What kind of times? Well, pandemic times and election time. Times filled with injustice and conflict riots and national natural disasters and one of the questions that people have been asking me periodically is pastor are we living in the end times like chad is this the end times that the bible talks about and and here's what i believe i believe that we are living in the end times the bible points to it it tells us that we are however today what we're not going to do is map out the the timeline and scenario of the times that we live in we're we're not going to take the time to do that today today's message is titled how to prepare for the end times we've been in a series of messages called how And we've been looking at the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. These are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to two pastors that he had trained and raised up. He he had them installed and, and sent out to different churches. And he wrote letters to them as they were leading these churches with advice to help them. So we've looked at several how to things. Today we're going to look at how to prepare for the end times. Now, in other writings that, that we have in the scriptures from Paul, he talks about some more of the, what we would think of the typical end times topics. He talks about the rapture. He talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But not in these letters to Timothy. We're going to look at parts of both First and Second Timothy today. And when he writes to Timothy about the end times, he doesn't write about the Antichrist. No speculation of what's going to happen or what physical signs to look for. His teaching's more practical here, and he gives us warnings for how to live. Paul writes in both 1st and 2nd Timothy about what we could refer to as the last days. First, in in 1st Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So he gives us some some warnings, some some heads up about the last days. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, he says it this way, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So in both 1 and 2 Timothy, both of these letters that Paul writes to this young pastor, he says, look, I want to give you a heads up. I want to give you a little insight into the last days, the end times. Now, here's what we believe, that there are future events that will lead to the rapture and ultimately the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says that no one knows when that day is or when that hour is that these things will happen. But right now, you and I, in the the large scope of history, are living in some really special times. I guess if you're going to say it this way, and Paul kind of says this to Timothy, look, Tim, the future is now. You are living in these end times. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 
Peter says to the people that are gathered there, he says, these are the last days. We are living in some very significant times in the course of human history. And we believe that Jesus Christ could come at any time. And we also believe that he tells us in his word that we should live through the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish with all of our might his purpose for our lives today. So if that's the case, if as Paul says to Timothy, we are living in the last days, that these are the end times, how are we to live? Well, in these passages of Scripture, what what Paul gives to us are three warnings for times like these. If we're living in the last days, if these are the end times, then I want to show you three warnings for times like these. Here's the first warning that we'll look at. Number one, do not be surprised. Here's a warning. Number one, do not be surprised. See, in those verses that we just looked at, it tells us to expect times like these. Paul says, in the last days, in these later times, you can expect them, he says, to be terrible times. He warns him, Timothy, you are living in the end times. He says, you're living, the future is now, so do not be surprised. I was mowing my grass recently, and I was kind of out right by the street, and there's some trees that are right there in that that kind of dead zone between the road and our sidewalk, that kind of strip of grass that's there. And so I was mowing around these trees, and I had these earbuds in, and I was really focused on what I was doing, and I was listening to a podcast, and I was super engaged, and I honestly wasn't paying any attention to anything except where that mower was going. And all of a sudden, literally right behind me, I hear this loud noise and it was the school bus that had pulled up to drop kids off literally right in front of my house as the school bus stopped and when that bus let off that air brake and that noise went off I literally jumped and shook like a little baby and I was I was just both terrified in that moment I had no idea the school bus was right there beside me and I was also to be honest a little embarrassed because I thought, did anybody just see this, this grown man shake and jump like a little baby? And it was funny because when I, when I turned then, one of the girls who lives on our street had gotten off the bus and this junior high young lady was walking down the sidewalk and I looked over and she looked at me and she had this little grin on her face about the goofy man who was scared to death in his front yard because he was so caught off guard by something he should have known was going to happen. Like, I knew the school bus was coming, and and it was right there in front of me. If my eyes had been open, if I had been aware, I would not have been so frightened. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't get caught off guard. No need to be afraid. I'm warning you. You don't need to be surprised. You're living in the end times. Now, look, no one likes to live in what's called terrible times but we should not be caught off guard. Why? Uh, two, two things to consider. One, God has prepared us. God has prepared us. The Spirit clearly says, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he says there will be terrible times. So we shouldn't be surprised because God's prepared us for this moment. If it's raining outside and you go walking outside in the rain, you're not surprised if you get wet Because if you go out in a storm, you're going to be affected by it. Well, newsflash, we live in some stormy times. 
So we should not be surprised that it's affecting us. We should not be surprised by what's happening around us. It's a stormy time in a fallen world. So there will be pandemics and there will be natural disasters and there'll be disagreements and evil people and political fighting. And we have a warning from God in his word that these things will happen in times like these. So we don't get defeated because these are tough times and God has prepared us for these times. In fact, even more as his people, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not only prepared by God, but watch this, God will rescue us. We don't need to be surprised or defeated because God will rescue us. Look at this, in 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul goes on to say this, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet, and watch this, the Lord rescued me from all of them. God will rescue you. Verse 12, in fact, he just talked about the rescue, and then he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He shows us that we don't need to be surprised if we go through difficult times, if we face suffering, if there are things that sometimes feel like we're being defeated, because even in the midst of those times, God is there and he will rescue us from them all. Sometimes we think if we're a follower of Jesus Christ that we'll never have to suffer, and the Bible says there may be times of suffering, but God will rescue you. Now, here's what I really do believe. I believe, and in sense this really strongly when I was putting this message together, that some of you need to hear this today, that in the midst of the thing that seems to have you defeated, God will rescue you. Have you ever been working on a project, or maybe you started a new job, or maybe you got that, that syllabus for that class that you're in, or there's, there's a season that you're in as a parent, or as, as a, as a, in a relationship, or in some way, and you just look at the struggle or the challenge that's in front of you, and you say to yourself, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that, that I have enough gas in my tank. I feel like I've run out of steam, and you think to yourself, Maybe I'll just give up. I don't know that I can do this. And the reality is in those moments, in those times of challenge, remember that God has told you there will be those moments and that he has promised that he will rescue you so you can put your trust in him. We talk about this because that's a part of life. But also we talk about it because at times like these, a recent survey that I came across pointed out that 31% of the respondents have reported that in the last month they've had feelings of anxiety or depression because of times like these. A little over 13% reported that they were turning to alcohol and drugs because of times like these. The stat that challenged me the most was that one in four young adults have contemplated suicide in the last month. That's a quarter of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24. This is tough when we are living in times like these. Why do I share that? Because if you're struggling right now, I want you to know that there is hope. There's purpose for your life. You can have confidence. You can know that when you look to Jesus Christ, he can bring you that rescue 
that you're looking for. You are not hearing this by accident. Like, I'm convinced of that. If you are hearing this or watching this message, it is by no means an accident, but God is reaching out to you. And so if you need to ask for help, ask for help. If you need to call someone, if you need to reach out to the church, let us help you in this season. You are not alone. I share this because I want you to know that even if you feel like you're struggling or defeated in times like these, God has promised to rescue us. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you? You see it in Paul's words here. He has called us to be agents of hope. So in times like these, if you are feeling like you are in a struggle, if you are facing difficulty, please remember this. Difficulty is not the same as defeat. Paul said, you will have moments of difficulty. Don't be surprised by that. But Jesus will rescue you. God will rescue you. He will come alongside of you. And your difficulty is not the same thing as defeat. Here's the first warning that Paul gives us for times like these. Do not be surprised. They're going to come. We're living in the last days. Here's the second warning that he gives to us. Number two, do not be deceived. Number two, do not be deceived. In 1 Timothy, when he's writing to Tim about these, these challenges of the last days, he, he says this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 struck me. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. When I read that, I was like, I want to be a good minister. Like, like, what do I have to do? If I'm going to be a good minister, what do I have to do? So then I read backwards because he said, if you'll point these things out. So I thought, well, what does a good minister point out? Which takes us up to verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul writes, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. What he says here is that deception will run rampant in the last days. The world will be deceived, and even some believers, followers of Jesus Christ, will abandon their faith and go after that deception. Now, we could take a ton of time to look at this. I just want to challenge you with this. Do not be deceived, be people of the truth. And you have to decide on the front end of this thing. Even before the lies come your way, even before deception's knocking on your door, you have to decide, I will be a person of the truth. You know, we have this really strange tradition in our culture of April Fool's Day, right? It's, it's the day on April 1st where we look for some way to deceive someone else. We, we try to pull a joke on them in some way. And you've probably pulled some of those jokes. Undoubtedly, you've probably had one pulled on you. And here's the thing. On April 1st, we should have our guards up. Honestly, we probably shouldn't trust anybody. We should have this understanding that we know that people are going to try to trick us. They're going to try to give us falsehood. They're going to try to deceive us. And the reality is, Paul says to Timothy, maybe live your life a little bit like it's April Fool's Day. Keep your eyes open. You can't believe everything that you see on the internet. Our culture is not necessarily a biblical one. There are ideas 
that you'll find in the world and sometimes even in the church that are just wrong. There are false teachers. Both in the world and in the church, you will encounter wolves and wolves in sheep's clothing. So Paul helps us by telling us, here's what you can do to be careful that you are not deceived. One of the things he says is that we need less distractions. If we want to be careful that we're not deceived, we need less distractions in our lives. Here's what he says to Timothy, and, and watch this. Remember, he's speaking to Timothy, who's leading the church. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, look, we're going to come back to this over the course of the next few weeks, and even this Tuesday in our online teaching. If you go out to our website, right on the front page is this week's how-to, kind of a guide to help us look at these scriptures more this week. But Paul says repeatedly to Timothy, stay away from myths and controversy and old wives' tales and conspiracy theories. He says, stay away from distractions. Why does he say this? Because when our energies get focused on these little things that we think are important, we find that those energies are distracted from and we begin to neglect the very things that are the most important things, the things that really matter. Let, let me give you an example of what happens when we focus on the wrong things. Back in 2009, there was a, a young man, an engineer from Google, who was walking through Central Park in New York City. As he was walking, a large branch from an oak tree just separated from the tree and fell on him. It hit him in the head, caused brain damage and paralysis now, many said, hey, it's a fluke injury. But the gentleman named Scott Stringer, who was the comptroller of New York City, began to do some research into this and found that they were spending a lot of money on lawsuits resulting from falling branches. And as he did the research, here's what he found out, that the city's pruning budget had been cut in previous years in an effort to save money, but because they had not been pruning those trees, because they were trying to put their focus over here on saving money, they neglected the things that really needed taken care of, and as a result, not only was it costing them more money, but there were people getting hurt in the process. They did the same thing with their playgrounds, like they limited how much attention they gave to children's playgrounds and as a result because they're trying to save money there were all these people getting hurt they found out which i thought was really interesting there was one swing on one playground in brooklyn that was responsible for multiple lawsuits because it was hung too low and five children broke their legs on that swing alone just in 2013 and what they realized was if, if they had paid attention if someone would have just gone out and Raise that swing by six inches. None of those suits would have happened. None of those broken legs would have happened. But what happened, because they were focused on something that they thought was important, they neglected the things that really mattered. Look, there may be some things in your life that are distractions. Maybe even some things that you're giving your mental mind to, your attention, you're, 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 you're willing to debate about, you're willing to argue about, when at the end of the day, they're simply just distractions from what really matters. What are you distracted by? Because when you focus on those distractions, you forget the big things that really could make a difference. And not only does it cost you, it costs others as well. Paul says to Timothy, you need to avoid distractions. We need less distractions. And then he says, we need less distractions 
and we need more doctrine. He says, we need more doctrine. And you say, what's, what's doctrine? It's the things we believe to be true from the Bible. It's our standard for living. Here's how he says it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 again. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. He says, truth and teaching. It comes from the word, from the scripture, from the Bible. The, the first sermon in this how-to series was called How to Know What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And we talked about the importance of the scripture there. Every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we've been posting online. And then you can go back and watch it on the Toledo Calvary Facebook or YouTube pages. You can go back there and watch them. Some, an online discussion or Bible study, if you will, on the topics that we've talked about on Sunday. In that first one that we did, we talked about how to use God's word effectively in your life. This Tuesday night, we're, we're going to be looking at this subject of, of less distraction and more doctrine, and we're going to talk about some controversial things. What does the Bible say about conspiracy theories? And we're going to look at that on Tuesday night. I believe that many of you need to hear this, and here's the thing. When I focus on right doctrine, good teaching from God's Word, it helps me to avoid the distractions the way you avoid distractions, the way you steer clear of what is counterfeit, you have to know what the truth looks like. There, there's a zoo in Cairo, Egypt called Cairo International Garden, this, this municipal park. And there was a student who was walking through there. And when he got to the zebra exhibit, he said to himself, something is not right here. Something does not look right. So he took a picture, posted it on Facebook, says, what's not right here? They, they, out of that, there was a veterinarian expert that came in and looked. And he said, you know, zebras, a real zebra usually has a, a black nose. And a real zebra usually has a pattern to their stripes. But when you look at these zebras, you don't see that. He spotted a counterfeit. They couldn't get any zebras, so they took two donkeys and painted them with stripes to look like zebras. How did they spot this? Somebody who knew what the real one looked like was able to identify the counterfeit. Look, this is why you need God's word at work in your life. This is why I care. Because at some point, you're going to find yourself in times like these, looking at something, uh, up against something, facing a challenge or a decision, having to make a, a tough call, up against a circumstance in your job or in how to respond to things around you or trying to choose the future for your family, you're going to find yourself in a place and you're going to go, I'm not sure what to do here. And if you don't know what the real thing, the genuine thing looks like from God's word, then it's easy to be distracted by the counterfeits. My hope is that as you make a commitment to be a person who is resolved, convicted to hold on to the truth, that it'll help you. You know how I know when I'm lost? <laughs> I know when I'm lost and I'm not where I'm supposed to be when where I'm at doesn't look like where I know I want to be. And if you don't know where you want to be, then it's hard for you to know when you're lost until it's too late. We need less distractions and we need more doctrine, more truth from God's word to help us to not be deceived. Three warnings for end times, last days, times like these. Do not be surprised. Do not be deceived. And here's the third one. Do not be powerless. Number three, do not be powerless. Here's, here's what I mean by that. 
2 Timothy chapter 3. Remember, Paul's writing to Timothy. Now, this is in his second letter about what it'll be like in the last days. And he says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And you know, when I I read that, kind of with my own idea of of terrible times in the last days, I think he's going to start talking about natural disasters. And he's going to start talking about evil empires. And I think he's going to start talking about the destruction of things. But look at what he says about terrible times. Instead, he says it this way, verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's quite a list, isn't it? I mean, we could take a long time and break that down and look at those things. My encouragement is for you to look at those things. Hold them up like a mirror and check if you see yourself in any of those things. And after he runs through that list of people who are, as he says, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, he says this in verse five. They are having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. He says many of them look like they're godly, but they don't have the power. In fact, actually, they they deny the power. Paul says in the last days, there will be people who, for whatever reason, that will be powerless. Don't be that person. Don't find yourself in that place. Look, if there's anything we need right now, if there's anything you need right now, it's the power of God at work in your life for times like these. I see this in so many people's lives right now, and I don't want you to go without God's power. You probably know that over the course of the last few months, we've been meeting on Sunday mornings in person, not just online, and we've been doing it out in a, out in a big tent, just kind of on our property to the south of the building. So that means that before those services, every Sunday at 6.30, we have a team that begins to come out and set up the, the, the system that we need for sound and getting everything set up for, for the worship team and for the services, and it all starts like that. And we have to move a lot of things from inside the building out to the tent. Well, to do it, we use one of our church vans. And if you're familiar with our church vans, we, we really don't need them like we used to. So we've got these old, old vans and we load them up with stuff. We really only use them for cargo anymore. And so we load them up with stuff, and we just kind of use that to cart things out to the tent, except for the one morning where we went to start the van, and nothing happened. I mean, you put the key in, and you turn it, and nothing happened. When we, we tried jump-starting that baby, and nothing happened. And we found ourselves in that moment really stuck because we were powerless. And some of you can relate to that. That in a critical moment in this season, in times like these, you you need to move something forward and you find yourself powerless. And I don't want you to be in that place. Where does power come from? We actually talked about this a few weeks ago in in the message, how to not be afraid. We we, we based that off of 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, that says, for the spirit of God 
the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. That means he doesn't make us cowards, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Where does power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to notice. We're not gonna take time and go through all those lists of what Paul said people will be like in, in the last days. But what you notice with all of those things that he listed is that they were lovers of self instead of lovers of God. It was all about self. And when we turn our focus on ourselves instead of on God, that's when we find ourselves powerless. A focus on self depletes the power of the Holy Spirit. When it's all about ourselves, when we keep looking for how we can benefit, when we keep trying to figure out how we can get the most out of this, and I'm not saying that we don't work hard and that you don't try to be effective or try to succeed, but when it becomes all about me instead of focusing on God, when I look for my own power instead of the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when we find ourselves powerless. Here's the bottom line we see in those first few verses. You cannot be full of yourself and full of the Spirit. The more you're full of yourself, the more you push out the power of the Spirit of God at work in your life. And some of you desperately need God's power in your life for times like these, on your job, in your family, with your schooling, with your kids, in your life, because of your health, because of your finances, because of your relationships, whatever it might be, I want you to have the power of God. Paul says, Timothy, do not have that end time selfish focus. You need God's power in your life. Don't just look good. That's what so many of these people were. They, they looked good. It seemed like they were doing the right things. They had, a, they had a form of godliness, but they lacked the power of it. Some of us profess to be Christians, but we don't practice what we preach. Some of us say that we, we think like God does, and yet we live our lives like the world around us. Many of us, we try to be real good on Sundays, but it doesn't kind of follow through the rest of the week. Some of us have a form of godliness, but we deny the power of it. Instead of yourself, you're to be a lover of God. Otherwise, when you focus on yourself, you create more issues. In fact, you actually find yourself to be powerless. I say this because it can be so easy in our lives to be focused on certain things that if we're not careful, we will focus on one thing, whether it's those distractions where we find ourselves deceived or whether it's ourselves and then we end up powerless. We focus on one thing and we get a result that we did not expect. Oftentimes, that's what's referred to as the cobra effect. The cobra effect is when you do one thing only to find out that there's consequences that you did not expect. Here, here's why it's called the Cobra Effect, where that name comes from. Back in the time when the United Kingdom had India as a, as a colony, back in that time of imperial rule, there was a season where the governor of India said that there were too many cobras in that country. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to get rid of some of those cobras. They wanted to deal with that. And so he had a great idea. He says, if I want to get rid of the cobras, I'm just going to incentivize people to get rid of them. And so what he does is he says, look, you bring us a dead cobra and we will pay you. He says, this is brilliant. People don't want those cobras around, so we will pay them for every dead cobra that they bring. Here's the problem, though. People aren't dumb. And they go, look, for every dead cobra, I'm going to get some cash. 
So I'm going to make sure I've got plenty of dead cobras. And people began to farm these snakes. They began to grow them and raise them. And it didn't take long for the government to go, wait a minute, they're bringing us too many snakes. (laughs) This, This backfired on us. And we're spending all this money. They've gamed the system. We don't want to do this anymore. And so they rescind the offer. They say, look, no more snakes. Don't bring us anymore. We're not going to pay you anymore. Here's where it gets weirder. Now you have all these cobra farmers who have all these snakes, but there's no market for them anymore. So they don't want them anymore. So they take the snakes and they release them out into the wild. Did you see what happened? They were trying to fix one thing and instead ended up with a far worse problem than what they had in the first place. Understand this. When I focus on myself, when I, when I try to see how can I game the system, how can I work this for my benefit, how can I try to do this on my own, I usually think I'm solving the problem when most of the time I just find myself in a place, I find myself in a situation where actually I've created more problems for myself. You can call it the cobra effect, but what Paul says to Timothy is when you focus on yourself, you're going to find yourself powerless. Look, we are living in crazy times. We are living in what we refer to as times like these. And as we live here, Paul says, don't be surprised because in the midst of this difficulty, God will rescue you. And he says, don't be deceived. There's distractions, but look to God, look to Jesus, look to his word. And when you do, the word of God will fill your heart and change your life. And he says, look, don't be powerless. The power of the Holy Spirit is available, so you don't need to be filled with fear. But as you take your eyes off of yourself and as you look to Jesus, it's in those moments that power comes into our lives. So our worship team's gonna come, and right where you are, how we're gonna close this out today is we're gonna sing our prayer. We're gonna sing a simple song that says, Lord, I need you. And if you find yourself in a season of difficulty, Would you sing this and pray, God, would you rescue me? Because, Lord, I need you. And if you find yourself in a season where you're looking for truth, would you say, God, I look to your word because, Lord, I need you. And right now, and I know that's so many of us, that we feel like our tanks are on empty. We feel like we've run out of gas. In this moment, as we make this song our prayer, would you say, Jesus, I take my eyes off of myself and I look to you. Holy Spirit, come alongside of me with your power because Lord, I need you. Father, in these next few moments, we make this song our prayer. God, in these next few moments, we confess our need for you. God, in these next few moments, we don't simply sing a song, but we open up our hearts and we say, Lord, in times like these, we can't do it on our own. Jesus, you are hope. You are the answer. We say, Lord, I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I come and I confess Bowing here, I find my rest Without you, I fall apart you're the world that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. 
could be that you're watching and as you are you're thinking to yourself what I really need in my life is Jesus maybe you've never taken the opportunity or, or maybe you did at one point and it's been a long time ago to say Jesus I need you to bring forgiveness to my life or, Jesus I, I need you to bring purpose to my life and maybe today you've reached a point especially as we we sang that song as we looked at God's word today and you said I can't do this on my own anymore God I need your work in my life I'm, I'm going to invite you to join me as we pray this prayer. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, or if today you need to begin a relationship with him, would you join me in praying this prayer together? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, be my Savior, I give my life to you, my risen Lord. I look to you to rescue you, to rescue me. I put my confidence in your word. I need the Holy Spirit's power in my life, in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I hope there's a link in the comments that you can click, or you can go out to our website. Right on the homepage, there's a button where you can click to know more about Jesus. We would love to help you to grow in that relationship and find the life change that only Jesus can bring. Once again, thanks for joining us online today. It is always a privilege to worship with you. God bless you. Have a great week. Go in his special favor and his wonderful peace. We'll see you next Sunday.